0: You're listening to NASA in Silicon Valley, episode 84. This week, our guest is Sharmila Bhattacharya, senior scientist in the Space Biosciences Research Branch here at NASA Ames. Sharmila tells a great story about how and why NASA does biology research, a lot that takes place on the International Space Station to understand how biology changes in microgravity. Coming up in 2019, Sharmila and others will take those studies further than they've ever been before. A small satellite called Biosentinel will hitch a ride on NASA's new rocket, the Space Launch System. At a distance out near the sun, this experiment will study the effects of space radiation on Earth biology. So now let's get right to it and hear from Sharmila Bhattacharya herself. Welcome, Sharmila. We always start the podcast the same way. We just kind of want to get to know a little bit about you. So tell us, uh, how did you join NASA? How did you end up in Silicon Valley?
1: Yeah, so I actually came for um, a postdoctoral fellowship at Stanford University. Okay. So I was on the East Coast before that. I was uh, doing, I I finished my graduate work at Princeton University in molecular biology. And I was using, Uh, Yeah, this is actually kind of (laughs) an interesting story in some ways because I I worked with Uh, Yeast cells, and yeast cells—you know the same kind of yeast cells you make uh, bread Bread. or or beer with.
0: Exactly. Um,
1: But it's scientifically actually very, very uh, valuable. So the Mm -hmm. genetics are extremely well characterized, and it's a very useful organism. So I was using it as a model to understand how cancer cells um, really uh, grow, and you know how uh, that the unregulated growth of cancer cells, how that comes about, using yeast cells, and that was my graduate work. And then I. Come here, I actually change areas a little bit, and so for my postdoctoral work, I start working with fruit flies. Okay, which again, you know, you might think <laughs> fruit flies, you know, who, who actually does that? But um, they're a very, very useful model organism also for studying a variety of different biological systems. So. Okay. Whether it's the nervous system or the immune system or circadian rhythm. so the the Nobel Prize this that was just announced yeah. a, a little while ago um, uh, for this year uh, has been given actually to uh, folks that work with uh, Drosophila or fruit fly for circadian rhythms and
0: that has to do with like sleep right sleep okay. exactly
1: exactly and and you know how you know people uh, like how is sleep regulated what happens if you don't sleep enough mm-hmm. what what sorts of genes are involved in helping sleep come about you know all of that l- learning the genetic pathway of what's happening was actually discovered through through flies
0: i had a, an interesting conversation with somebody where they were talking about artificial intelligence and uh-huh. they're like when is you know the the robot's going to take over and i had this thought where i'm just like we barely understand why humans sleep,
1: let alone replicate the human
0: mind. I think we're kind of far away from that. We are still
1: a little ways from that, absolutely. So, but like,
0: like, understanding sleep Yeast and fruit flies. Yes. Like, I'm sure people are like, you know, when you think of NASA, you don't think of yeast or fruit flies.
1: Yes, as being an important organism, right? <laughs> exactly.
0: So, how does it go from like working on this stuff and then landing in and NASA all And then coming to
1: NASA, exactly. So, I was, uh, turns out I was working from home one day while I was working at Stanford and doing a postdoc and working on a manuscript to, for publication mm-hmm. of some of my data. And those were the days when you still used the newspaper to look for jobs. Oh. And so I happened to thumb through the San Jose Mercury News, hmm. and in the job ads was an ad from NASA Ames looking for, yeah. and I kid you not, looking <laughs> for a PhD biologist who had worked with yeast and fruit flies. Shut up! Exactly. I was like, oh. No, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> well, I had to It pinch helps. myself.
0: <laughs> like it helps to be local. <laughs> yeah. You know, because like you wouldn't find that in Ohio exactly. or in DC. Exactly. Oh, that's
1: exactly. too funny. Exactly. Right. So then I apply, and you know, it was first I came in through Lockheed Martin, so it was a a position through Lockheed. And um, yeah, I get one interview, and then a few weeks later, a second interview. And then lo and behold, um, you know, as I'm (laughs) finishing up my postdoc at Stanford, I immediately uh, get a position here. So I started here working actually on habitats, biological habitats, that can be uh, flown and tested and experimented on on the International Space Station. Really? Using these model organisms uh, like yeast and like fruit flies to understand you know, biological processes that are very important for humans Mm -hmm. and for astronauts and so on. But more at the basic molecular biology mechanistic sort of a level. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when, and, and some of these organisms, you know, apart from being very genetically very well characterized, and there are a lot of mutants that you can study, so you mm-hmm. can really understand what how specific genes function in specific really? tasks.
0: Okay, so like the orc, the, like fruit flies or yeast, like they're simple enough
1: exactly that,
0: like, you know, this gene does this.
1: Exactly. Whereas if
0: it's like some other, like if it's a a human or a monkey or a mouse it's, it's like more much complicated
1: much more complicated exactly okay, and for a variety of reasons actually for, for one reason it's more complicated in humans is often humans have a lot of redundancy and it's built oh, in intentionally because you don't want the system to fail <laughs> yes so so some particular pathway you know one particular gene that may be important for one step in say metabolizing or digesting carbohydrates in your body there might be many copies of that okay so that then you don't really, so even if one of them is not functioning that well, it's very hard to really understand what your end result is gonna be because the others are doing the job for it, right?
0: Yeah, there's like so many, like other factors, exactly. other things. It's that so could much play more
1: complex. So and if you
0: keep it simple, a simple organism, then you really know. I guess you can find a more causal. Relationship, exactly.
1: I guess. That's exactly right. Exactly right. So when you're, for example, seeing a change in, um, say, how carbohydrate is metabolized, or how you know oxidative stress is happening, you can understand it more easily. sometime in these really well defined simple model organisms, and. And And then, in many of the cases, depending on what you're looking at, that particular genetic pathway might be very similar to the human pathway. In, okay. in many cases, like for example, for the fly, if you look at all the genes of the human mm-hmm. that you know are important for function, because if you have any kind of mutation in that gene, you get a disease, <laughs> yeah, a manifested human disease. And there's a database called OMIM that catalogs these human disease genes. And you take that those genes and you compare it with your fruit fly genes, for example, okay. you'd get you know at least a 75% Match. So, in other words, there's 75% of the genes in the fruit fly that actually have a very close functional match mm-hmm. to the ones in the human. So,
0: if you're looking at, like, I mean, I guess the core of it is when you're looking at yeast or fruit flies, I guess the idea is that how it behaves here in gravity is different when it's out up in the space station floating around.
1: Exactly. Why? How is that? That's a really good question, and actually that's something a lot of scientists, you know, not just at NASA, but people yeah. that are being funded by NASA or these other organizations like CASES, et cetera, yeah. uh, they're all looking at that question of we know that there are differences in how an astronaut responds uh, in a space environment, especially when they're there for long periods of time. And most people think of
0: like your muscles atrophying. There's yes. some basic things that you kind of get, yes, you know.
1: Yes, yes, or your bone, you know, you yeah. losing. But there are also other uh, physiological effects. For example, the immune system, mm-hmm. uh, you know, gets altered. And so there's this idea that if your microorganisms, so your bacteria and your fungi and so on and so forth, other other scientists have shown that some of those are also altered when they're in space flight in terms of their function. And then the host, i.e., human or you know whatever else the host be a plant, whatever it is. But let's say with humans, if you have any change in the immune system for the astronaut, Mm -hmm. and plus the microorganisms up there maybe growing, you know, for one. Thing they may be causing, you know, biofilm or bio- biofouling. Yeah, um, they may be, you know, found because it's a closed environment, and so they may be yeah. found. The astronaut might ingest it, and so it's very important to kind of understand, you know, what are some of the, the underlying molecular. Uh, pathways behind how the astronaut's going to respond, and that way you can start sending up, uh, you know, prophylactics. You'll know, you know, what medication to send. Mm-hmm. You'll know um, how much of something or the other is a real problem versus nothing to worry about. Yeah, and so that's the sort of thing that that we, you know, using these some of these model organisms to actually understand. And so,
0: how does that work in terms of? like, conducting an experiment? Do you, like... Get it all packaged up in a little box, or exactly. or did you do you guys? Do the astronauts actually do it, or is it self-contained, or how does that work? Excellent
1: question. So it depends on the platform you're using. So okay, that makes sense. so one of the experiments that we're doing, for example, with the fruit fly, um, the astronauts will help us to uh, change out and you know give them new food and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. But then most of the analysis that we do, we do back on the ground. And yes, we do use boxes. You know, not not very big boxes. That's the other advantage, is with fruit flies because they're so small. <laughs> in you know, in a box that's the size of a bread box, you know, you would get a very comfortable uh, population of over four thousand, uh, you know, fruit flies coming back down.
0: And I imagine, like, I'm thinking of old science classes from high school where you'd have like your control group and then yes. the group that's getting whatever treatments or something so you can see the differences. Exactly. Do you do something similar on Earth? Because like like a a A group with gravity and without gravity. Exactly.
1: So you have the exact same box with the same temperature, same lighting, same everything, except one box is on Earth and then its sibling cohort of flies (laughs) is in space, basically. And then after the, the space flight, when you do your work and your analysis on the flies, you do that and you compare between those cohorts.
0: So what are some of the like, what have we learned? Yes. What, what is something like crazy, strange, or interesting that you didn't think of, but like that that you've learned from like just that absence of gravity? Yes. Just fundamentally changes stuff.
1: Yeah, you know, there's actually a lot of different things that one is learning. Uh, For example, uh, the immune system. We find that the immune system and the way it responds Mm -hmm. is different. So depending again on what you look at, uh, there are changes in how the immune cells actually proliferate and how efficient they might be in, let's say, engulfing or phagocytosing a microbial, <laughs> you know. <Go.
0: laughs> engulfing, phagocytosis. <laughs> so like, phagocytosis. I'm going to yeah. I'm gonna need you to help me out, Sharmila. <laughs> yes, um, yes. Please go on in simpler detail. <laughs>
1: yes, yes. So phagocytosis is this process of actually engulfing or, or swallowing, you know, a microbial particle that might have, you know, you might have ingested or has okay. entered into your blood system, and so the, one of the ways in which your immune system will make sure that you don't get very sick okay. is that these immune cells will actually capture the um, this invading, you know, microorganism you, to this prevent is this stranger
0: it stranger danger. Exactly. <laughs> Go get them. <laughs> exactly.
1: Exactly.
0: Oh really? And so the way it does that in gravity is different it's from different, zero gravity.
1: Exactly. Is it
0: like more? Is it better at it, or is it not as good at it? Or so how? again,
1: that depends on the system. What we studied actually was not as good at doing it. So what we did is we got oh, these flies back from space, and then we um, gave them an infection with a particular kind of a bacteria, and the efficiency with which the blood cells were able to engulf this bacteria was actually reduced. So it was less really less uh, you know efficient. At clearing out, uh, you know, this this bacteria, and now it also depends on what microorganism you use. Okay. So if you're using, uh, you know, a, a, a fungi versus a bacteria, and even within bacteria, different bacteria may have different responses. And so we're in the process hmm. of looking at that.
0: Yeah, I'd imagine you're going to have a bad day if you're sending an astronaut or somebody's going up to space working, and then they come back and then they start getting really sick.
1: Exactly. And exactly. especially if we
0: start looking at longer term things, exactly. out to the moon, to exactly. Mars.
1: Exactly. It's like
0: you don't want your astronauts getting horrifically sick exactly. and weakened immune systems.
1: Exactly, exactly. And then on another track, so your other yeah. question of, you know, what kind of experiments do you do? How do you do it? How automated is it? So on the flip side, so this first one that I told you about is more on the International Space Station where there's a lot of crew and they're actually able to be there and participate and help you with mm-hmm. the experiment. Then there's another way of doing experiments and and this other experiment that I'm really also very excited about um, called BioSentinel, for example, okay. that we're working on. And that uses the yeast cell. Okay. And there, the experiment is pretty much self-contained because we're going to launch it on the Exploration Mission 1, for example. And then it is a what is called a secondary payload, which okay. means it will then, you know, the, the EM-1 mission, Exploration Mission 1, goes around, let's say, the moon and comes back on its test run. And, and
0: for folks who are maybe not as aware of this, uh-huh. this is like, you're not talking about sending this experiment up to the space station and back. No. You're putting it on, like, the new, is it the, the SLS? rocket,
1: yes, exactly. The
0: like space launching system. Exactly. You know rocket that's supposed to go to the
1: moon? Exactly. So it's going to go around the moon but it's going to basically have that heavy lift capability to get us deep into space beyond ISS and beyond low low earth earth orbit. orbit. Exactly. And so we're going to take a piggyback ride on that particular rocket and then we, because we're a self-contained box and we're literally like a very large bread Mm -hmm. box and um, we will then get uh, ejected at some point, and our trajectory will be to go around the sun, for example. Oh, really? okay. And, uh, and so we'll basically be at those kinds of distances away from the Earth. And we won't we will not get this experiment back. Okay. But we will get all our data back by what is called telemetry. So we will be, you know, our spacecraft. So it's self sustained. So yeah. the group at Ames, you know, there's an engineering team that's actually building the spacecraft. Um,
0: yeah. There's
1: another group that's working on getting our experiment automated so that, you know, the fluidics and all of this that will help feed ourselves, all of that is automated and it's, you know, compatible with ourselves. And then, mm-hmm. you know, we have. Imaging, um, you know, oh, wow. and then there's software that runs all of this. So, all of that complex it's the whole
0: science experiments in a box. Exactly running
1: with a lot of different expertise a lot of different people working and, on and it. and
0: for the most part are you guys just getting data back data back. so it's not like you have to tell it to do stuff for steer it around or no it's in fact, all or... of
1: that we do we do tell it that but all of that is usually programmed before you send it out okay but if you change your mind let's say you start seeing the first you, set of data yeah. and then you're like you know what instead of starting the second batch of cells a month later i'm actually going to start it a week or two earlier because i'm seeing something really interesting right now yeah. or that there's uh some you know solar flare or some particular ra- you know radioactive uh, i mean a radi- sorry a radiation event uh, mm-hmm. that's particularly strong happening right now because of the sun's activity well,
0: there's another factor you could look into
1: you can look at that and then you can actually uh, even from the earth you can command it to <laughs> to run your your stuff so there's a, a basic program that lets it do its thing, but then you can also send commands to make it happen faster. And so
0: how does that work? It launches from the earth, yes. heads to the moon. Yes. Are you guys basically kind of slingshotting exactly. it around the moon That's and then exactly around the right. sun? Exactly.
1: And then... That's exactly what's happening. And what's cool about this experiment, and again, these are these simple little yeast cells, but what we're doing is we are um, using these yeast cell as a very a sensitive calibrator or a sensor to understand the effects of this deep space radiation that I was talking about. And again, as you can imagine, as we contemplate sending humans to you know deep space orbits for long periods of time, you know, go to Mars and back, go to the moon and back, stay on the moon for a while and do some work, you know get something running and then come back. When you're out there in those radiation environments, it's important for us to understand what will that radiation environment do to the biology? Mm-hmm. Um, and if we do see some specific effects, you know how long does it take to see those effects? Um, what are the underlying genetic changes that are yeah. happening? What are some of the, uh, you know, what are some of the countermeasures? What can we do about it? Which we can only figure out once we know what the actual changes are.
0: It's an interesting thing about being here, like at NASA in Silicon Uh Valley, Uh NASA Ames. People think of, you know, Florida, when you're thinking of launching the rockets, you think of Houston as training astronauts and talking. Um, Ames has this really broad portfolio yes. where it's like they do bioscience, yes. they do small satellites, exactly. they're doing autonomous systems and exactly. all this like vast range, but thinking of Biosentinel, yes. it's almost like it's got a little piece of all of those. Exactly. So it's, like, exactly. so it's like for you, you don't have to just deal with like work with another center or research institute exactly. somewhere else. They're all sitting here.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And that's what makes this area actually so um, interesting, because exactly like you pointed yeah. out, we're working not only with all the expertise here at Ames, which mm-hmm. is a very diverse setting on the software, yeah, it's extremely diverse. the robotics, the spacecraft, all of the automation, the and telemetry. The-
0: and your biologists and the your biology. chemists and everybody sitting there exactly,
1: exactly. We have t- in our you know team we have chemists that are helping us with some of the the reaction rates and calculations for that. Um, so there's all of that. And then JSC, Johnson Space Center, for example, is building a physical dosimeter, okay. which will measure What's those radiators. What's dosimeter? Radi- so dosimeter is, uh, is an instrument that measures the radiation. So okay. it will tell you the dose of different particle types, for example, okay. that your spacecraft and that your payload, payload is basically your little experimental yeah, box, yeah, yeah. Uh, is experiencing. And so then you can use that information to compare with the biology that's also being altered by the radiation. And there you're seeing a, f- a phenomenological effect. So you're seeing some biological change because of the radiation. And then you look at that and then you compare it with the data that you get from the spectrometer to say that, oh, you know, when the radiation doses were really high, these are some of the changes that we saw in our cell.
0: Oh, wow. I don't know, do, you, do you already have like an idea of what you expect to see? from this? I mean, do you already that's have an anticipation? Or I guess you're like, yes. what's your hypothesis? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes,
1: exactly. No, that's an excellent question. And yes, we do for a couple of reasons. One, we are doing a lot of ground testing on Earth before we fly this. Because okay. as you can imagine, you have to characterize your system really well before you can actually fly it, so that when you get the data back, you actually know what to make of it. Um, and so we're doing a lot of studies at Brookhaven National Labs, and okay. at um, different like proton facilities and hospitals that are normally used for uh, cancer therapy, um, but you can also use some of those same instruments to give targeted radiation doses to your cells, um, and thereby study you know what the changes are when you give it this kind of dose, these are the kinds of effects that you're seeing on the DNA, or this is the kind of Mm -hmm. effect that you're seeing in terms of changes of your gene, you know, expression levels. Um, And then you know that, okay, every time I see this particular change in the growth pattern, it correlates with doses of this kind of radiation. Okay. And so you characterize your experiment in your system on the ground with known amounts of radiation, for example. Um, and then send it out there into this environment where there's no gravity and there's radiation and there could be uh. other factors that are also different. You know, you're, there are other launch stressors, there's, there's there's other things happening there as well. Um, and then you look at how your biology responds and then you compare it. And again, like you pointed out yeah. earlier, you have the exact same copy of the yeah, experiment on the ground. And so you compare what's happening in space versus ground and how they're different in the same hardware that's treated Otherwise, identically, except that one is in space and the other one's on the ground.
0: So, what is your timeline? What are you? What? what how are you guys looking at this? It's like you're still working on it. Yes. Launching. You have to get on. You know. Get exactly, all scheduled.
1: and as you can imagine, it takes quite a while to get yeah. ready to get the experiment off the ground and and do the work. So, currently, <laughs> literally
0: and figuratively,
1: exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, 2019 is our current target.
0: That's a target for when
1: we're we're going to be flying this experiment into
0: Hitcher ride on EM-1.
1: On the Hitchin ride on EM-1. Yeah. And before that, or parallel with that, or mm-hmm. ma- perhaps before that, we also plan to fly a copy on the International Space Station. Oh, good. Where it, you have a little bit less, so it's a more benign radiation environment, but it also doesn't have gravity. So you can start to separate out effects that you see that's in deep space on the M-1 mission where, you know, when we get shot at ah. there, where you have no no, gravity but you have a lot of radiation and then you look at the ISS where you have no gravity either but you have less radiation and then you look on the ground where you have you know gravity and you have less, much less radiation. And so then you, and that's why I call it a bio uh, calibration or a bio Mm -hmm. in some ways, because you're measuring the biological effect of this radiation um, and you're doing it really as a comparative thing where you're looking under different environments to see how this exact same biology in the exact same hardware, how is it responding to these different environments. It's cool to study what will happen uh, to a biological system or to a human in space, yes. Um, we know already that humans have been to space and come back, so we know the yeah. good news is that uh, we can do it. Uh, but we do need to understand the detailed changes so that when we're there for long periods, we know how, it's, how we're going to respond. But in addition to that, I think what's really interesting is we learn a lot about how our, how our bodies function on Earth from, yeah. from doing these studies in space. And what do I mean by that? Well, on the ground, gravity is a given. We're surrounded by this environment of being in gravity. Mm-hmm. So it's very hard, if not impossible, to remove that gravity vector from biology when you do experiments on the ground. So one fundamental aspect of understanding how our bodies are wired and how it functions, it's very interesting how much you can learn about how the these complex biological systems develop on Earth yeah. by studying them in this environment where you don't have gravity. In other words, you can use this information to understand some of the detailed ways in which uh, biological system actually develops from a one-cell stage to a multi-cell organism that functions in a certain way on the earth by studying um, how it uh, you know and then and then an easier way to think about it is for example the the fact that you brought up earlier is like yeah. you know that there's muscle loss in space in the yeah, lack exactly. of gravity right you also know that there's muscle loss with aging um on earth or with certain people with certain diseases or bone losses
0: osteoporosis exactly all of those things, bone
1: yeah. loss with osteoporosis there's certain muscle wasting diseases that people have genetically on the ground you can think of spaceflight in some ways almost as a platform that allows you to do accelerated studies. So you're getting accelerated effects that you would normally take a very long time to do uh-huh. a study for an aging adult or an aging human. It would take you many, many decades to do that study on the ground. but in some ways you can use the spaceflight platform to answer some of those questions in a shorter timeline. And how does
0: gravity make that much of an
1: effect? Exactly. How is
0: that? That that seems crazy.
1: Exactly, right? And that's where I think it points to how fundamental and how important gravity is. Um, On the other hand, that's not to say that we can't function without gravity. We just have to understand exactly how we will function without gravity over long periods of time so that we can, you know, if there are any, uh, you know, detrimental things that we need to, Counteract that we understand that and we're ready for it, so that when we do that long uh, duration space flight, we know ex- you know. For example, we may know that uh, we're going to have to give astronauts this period of time, so many hours a day, where mm-hmm. their muscles and bones are weighted, okay. so that they don't lose the those tissue masses. Or um, we know that we have to send them up with these prophylactic um, like th- medications. Yeah. Or Or these foods,
0: or exercises, I guess, or exercises
1: exactly, which will really help mitigate,
0: counteract
1: these some of these immune impairments that they may experience. For example, stuff like that. So you know, so that's how it'll help us, because you know. Gravity, we know, is a given on Earth. We've all evolved. You know, all our biological systems currently on Earth have evolved in that environment.
0: Yeah, you figure, like, millions of years of evolution exactly. with gravity. Exactly. Then you remove that huge factor exactly. and things get weird. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: So definitely, as we start looking towards 2019, as we get closer, we're going to have to have you back, So especially as you're all hyped and excited (laughs) for the actual launch, or even after the experiment takes place. Yes, yes. So we'll definitely be hearing more from Sharmila.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I look forward to that. This was really fun. It was
0: fun. Well, so for folks who are listening who want to hear more from Sharmila, we're using the hashtag NASA Silicon Valley. In the short term, if people have questions for you, we'll loop you in, or we can add that in uh, for the next time. Sure. Thank you so much for coming on Absolutely. over.
1: Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much.
0: You have been listening to the NASA and Silicon Valley podcast. Remember, we are a NASA podcast, but we are not the only NASA podcast. So don't forget to check out our friends at Houston. We have a podcast. There's also Gravity Assist. There's This Week at NASA. And if you're a music fan, don't forget to check out Third Rock Radio. The best way to capture all of this content is to subscribe to our omnibus RSS feed called NASA casts or visit the NASA app on iOS, Android, or anywhere you find your apps.